Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. You are not at all alone. Um, I think we as humans, and I just failure lab teaches me this over and over again, as we featured 200 successful people and everyone you look up to these professional athletes and writers and rappers and actors and CEOs. And you just think that everyone's got it put together. And the moment you start hearing their backstory or what they went through or what they battled, it's just unbelievably encouraging. So I think the first thing I say is you're, you're not at all alone. Everyone faces different circumstances but all of us are battling the same feelings and fears and doubts, um, you know, and, and on top of that, I think what we've kind of seen is it's also your perspective. So, you know, how are you looking at yourself and your struggle and being aware of where you're at, um, being willing to ask for help? I think my saving grace has just been, I've always been drawn to good people and asking for help and, and being willing to um, kind of pivot. Um, I think there, then there's that willingness to change. If you're just butting up against the same thing forever, uh, at some point you've got to say, I'm either going to break through or I, I need to look at different options. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Jonathan, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you know, I was uh, introduced to you by way of uh, one of our listeners who apparently works for you. And when they told me that you guys run something called Failure Labs, I uh, you know did some digging and was immediately intrigued by it. But before we get there, um, I want to start with uh, one of my favorite questions, and that is, uh, which social group were you a part of in high school, and what impact has that had on your choices in your life? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think. I think I was a bit of a chameleon. Um, I played sports and then I liked to party. Um, I liked to meet new groups. Um, I tended to hang out with people from four different high schools. And um, I think that did kind of lend itself to uh, organizing events as an adult and, and consulting uh, because I was just constantly sort of seeking change and variety um, and getting to know new people. Hmm. Yeah, that ability to, to be a chameleon, I, I'm wondering, you know, one how can we learn? How can we learn to do that? How can you navigate multiple social groups as an adult? Uh, I, I'm just very curious because I've seen that pattern in a handful of people, and I'm curious how they actually do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I think first of all, it's about being authentic as opposed to trying to be something you're not. Sure. Um, and I think it's about finding common ground. Um, and through our work with Failure Lab, I, I would say one of the best things we've learned about finding common ground quickly is just being vulnerable. Um, and authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. So I'm curious, you know, how you got from sort of being a chameleon in high school, like walk me through the trajectory of how you end up creating something called failure love. Like, how did you get to this point? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to look back on our journey. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think when I entered high school, 
I was all honors everything. Um, I grew up in West Michigan, a very conservative town. And I think um, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, And I came, I I just really was pushing. I was very well read, um, reading Russian literature as a a child and and just really wanted to be this guy that you see on the movies and um, got, got into high school and just absolutely took a took a sideways turn just lost interest in um, education and lost interest in a lot of things and kind of had a little bit of this rebellious attitude I'm a third generation uh, entrepreneur and I think we're just these cuts from this rebellious cloth and doesn't like to take orders and likes to be independent and I think that has been a theme uh, that's been constant for me and ended up dropping out of college and really just wandered. It was, it was a tough season for me being 19 and 20, just really not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And at, at that time, I'm 35 now. It, it was strange because it, there was so much pressure on getting a good education. And I think that's changed a bit now. Um, so I felt some shame around that and ended up out in San Diego and started a, a company I grew up. Uh, my father is a contractor and I started a contracting company. And um, that was in the heyday in California. And everyone is just taking home equity money and, and just, you know, th- making it rain and construction. And here, I think that I'm this amazing business person. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I had no idea what I was doing and work is falling from heaven. And uh, the recession just crushed me. Um, absolutely rocked me. I was unprepared on, on every level. It was like someone flipped a switch and I lost everything. I lost, um, we were living, we were living in this place on the ocean in La Jolla. And it was just, we, we were living like, you know, trying to be these boy band members. And suddenly just things completely changed. And I ended up losing, um, you know, I had to sell all of my stuff and ended up renting a room from a friend of a friend's mother in some strange area of San Diego. And it was, it was very, very humbling. Um, and I, I, the final straw is I blew out my back. And so I'm sitting in bed just laying up, looking at my life. I'm completely helpless and I'm looking back. I'm looking at my 20s as I'm flirting with my 30s. And all I could think is, man, I was just living this selfish, hedonistic lifestyle, um, you know, just spending money however I wanted, doing whatever I wanted, not planning or preparing around my business. And as I prepared for surgery, I really just kind of made a goal for myself that I wanted to have more meaningful work moving forward. I wanted to be more involved with my community. And I, I really wanted to make my thirties less self-indulgent and ended up back in West Michigan about seven years ago. And uh, it's been a really exciting time in the Midwest where, I mean, you look at Detroit and so many people are just kind of rising out of, out of really tough scenarios and, and, and rebuilding and adapting in a, in really exciting, fast ways. Um, and I got into a project where basically we were trying to be upworthy.com before that existed. It was, uh, we were trying to showcase innovative philanthropy and positive news and and really push back on a lot of the stories that we're just inundated with all the time. And we had a group of like six or seven of us and we we worked on this for years and it was a complete failure. Um, (laughs) Never went anywhere. We, we never were able to make it profitable. And um, you know, now you look at, like Huffington Post has an impact section and, and these much bigger, broader organizations have sort of added these things in and, and different groups with, with much more power than we had are able to do a really good job. And what, what we learned from that um, was that 
the power of sharing other people's stories, um, the power of kind of shining this light on these things that maybe you don't know about or exposing um, kind of backstories or context and that and sort of mixing it in with community because we were showcasing uh, nonprofits and, and companies doing really you know good things with their money. And out of that, my friend Jordan O'Neill had this idea. Um, he, he, we had a handful of ideas we were throwing at the wall and he just said, I wanna do this event, this storytelling event. And he came up with it from seeing a, a TEDx talk in Detroit, a man by the name of Randall Charlton. Um, you, can, you can look it up, it's a really beautiful talk. This man basically threw out his notes before he went on stage and he, he jumps out on stage and he ended up just telling <laughs> his deepest, darkest failures throughout his life, both personally and professionally, and how he had lost his entire fortune, lost his marriage, lost his health, and finally, his daughter committed suicide, and it was just uh, jaw-dropping and, and, and emotional and real. And um, he had to compose himself for a minute. And then after that, he came kind of came back center stage and, and you know wrapped it up and talked about how he um, had moved to Detroit and found a new purpose in that community and in that environment. Um, but the entire drive back to Grand Rapids, my friend Jordan just couldn't, you know, with a, with a TEDx day you have tons of stories you hear but he couldn't stop thinking about that one and how that just just stuck with him and he thought what if we did that in an event took successful people put them on stage but we didn't let them wrap it up what if randall had stopped that rock bottom of that situation uh, what would that feel like what would that be like um we all a lot of us go to different events and conferences um but we had never been to anything like that. And we thought, hey, let's, let's try it out. So we designed this two hour format of, of storytellers blended with um, musicians. And we did it as an experiment about six years ago. And now it's completely taken over our lives. <laughs> wow. Okay, so many questions come for that. Um, I, I can now see why why you were referred to us as a guest. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I want to go back to uh, being in, in high school because you said something that really struck me. You know, you said that you went from being this kid who read Russian literature, who was incredibly driven, to suddenly losing all of your ambition. And um, you know, not in those exact words, but I'm curious what changed between you know being the kid who read Russian literature to entering high school. Like, what caused that loss of motivation? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a great question. I will say, as an adult, I think about it a lot. I think about if we could come around to these 14-year-old kids, because that's when this, this critical time in our lives is. Um, and if, you, if someone could have come next to me as my 14-year-old self and, and kind of showed me other options. You know, I think all of a sudden I started seeing education as, as this box that I didn't really want to fit in. And I saw this path to a certain thing that I didn't really, it didn't really um, appeal to me or it didn't feel like that's what I was supposed to do. I wasn't on this quick West Michigan path to go to a Christian college, uh, you know, get married out of college and, and get a house in the suburbs. I just, it, it, that just didn't kind of resonate with me at that time. And so I think that is really what kind of kicked, kicked me away from thinking along that normal path and, and that, and, you know, just to be honest, um, you know, I had a really tough relationship with my father. 
uh, we no longer speak anymore. And we just, our personalities really came to a head at that point in my life. And um, so I think I was rebelling against him. I was rebelling against authority and I was pushing back on this kind of one, one mold fits all educational model. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to ask you, and I, I completely agree that we do have, you know, a very much a one mold fits all education model as somebody who, who you know, decided to drop out of college and, you know, hearing the comment that you made about the fact that maybe this isn't as relevant to leading a good life as we once thought it was. I'm curious, you know, what you think about our current education system and, and you know, more importantly, like, what do we need to change about it so that it does lead to its intended outcomes based on the experience that you had? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a huge question. Um, you know, I think really what what we need to become is life learners and staying curious and and staying engaged and searching for things that I think have meaning to us. Um, you know, I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do. And you know, I I don't know that the, I have a quick answer to that, other than um, I think being open to different options. And, you know, also these, these timeless, iconic structures have got to adapt. And, you know, how, how do you adapt when it's touching on um, the private sector, the public sector, and so many different parties involved? Uh, I, I think it's a very tough, we've got a tough thing ahead of us. And uh, for a while, I honestly, I just really um, was angry with education. And I, you know, I would encourage people to drop out of school. Um, and I think as I've sort of aged, I've I have a different perspective on it where I think if you identify what you want to do and you see the path through education that it's going to take you there, then I think that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, you look at the jobs gap in like the trades, which I grew up in, in the trades and it's looked down upon blue collar work. And I think hopefully we'll see some companies come up that are really just trying to get people trained in all different ways. Um, so I, I feel like it's about being open to different learning and being open to different ways of training people. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I'm curious, do you have kids? And uh, if so, like, has your own experience with education informed how you would uh, choose to educate your children? Yeah, so I have a, a one-year-old daughter named Poppy. And um, I also have a bonus daughter uh, named Willa. She's 12. And so it's very interesting interesting to be at that sort of different moments in life where you have a preteen and a, and a pre-toddler. And <laughs> it's hard because I'm, I'm so bent on saying I, I don't want them to be in traditional education. Um, but at the same time, I see some of the social benefits. So for our daughter, we're, we're not sure how we will cross that bridge. You know, I honestly, I'd rather she start a business at a young age <laughs> and I'd love to be, be a part of helping her start a business so she can see every facet of how that works and learn through that. And, you know, I, I also want to watch their strengths uh -huh. where if you can kind of see w what they're naturally um, drawn towards, I want to grow that um, as opposed to, and I also, again, want to stay kind of open with my perspective and, and let them kind of show us how we should push them as opposed to me saying, you know, like I heard my entire childhood, you get good grades, you go to a good college, you get this good job. Um, you know, so I, I think I'd like to see them dictate it a little bit. 
Wow. Uh, you know, the other thing that really, I, I think, struck me was you said you had this feeling of being lost. And I know that there are probably a lot of young people listening to this and even people mid-career listening to this who don't really have a, a sense of, of, you know, what's next or what direction to head in next. And having been in that position of feeling lost, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think the first thing is <laughs> you are not at all alone. Um, I think we as humans, and I just Failure Lab teaches me this over and over again, is we've featured 200 successful people and everyone you look up to, these professional athletes and writers and rappers and actors and CEOs, and you just think that everyone's got it put together. And the moment you start hearing their backstory or what they went through or what they battled, it's just unbelievably encouraging. So I think the first thing I say is you're, you're not at all alone. Everyone faces different circumstances but all of us are battling the same feelings and fears and doubts, um, you know, and, and on top of that, I think what we've kind of seen is it's also your perspective. So, you know, how are you looking at yourself and your struggle and being aware of where you're at, um, being willing to ask for help? I think my saving grace has just been I've always been drawn to good people and asking for help and and being willing to um, kind of pivot. Um, I think there, then there's that willingness to change. If you're just butting up against the same thing forever, uh, at some point you've got to say, I'm either going to break through or I, I need to look at different options. Um, and, you know, and, and the other thing is some seasons <laughs> there is no sugarcoating it. Um, some things are just going to be really hard. I remember battling with uh, depression and, and um, you know, that when you're young, that is just very, very difficult. You can't kind of gold plate this grit in these situations, it, it's life. And um, sometimes you're, gonna, you're not just going to have a disappointing month. You can have disappointing years, uh, but you're not alone. And, and there's a lot of things that you can do to turn things around quickly. Mm. You know, I, I was curious, you know, when you described the early part of your career, you know, from living, you know, on the shore in La Jolla, having sort of this boy band lifestyle to kind of losing everything. Uh, what did you learn from going from such an extreme high to such an extreme low? And how do you recover from going from such an extreme high to such an extreme low? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's some of the things I just said, you know, just being willing to ask for help and have the proper perspective. Um, I think some people, they taste some defeat, they taste some failure and they never get back up and they just, you know, they're done. And I think you've got to have the proper perspective. This is an event. This is not who you are or your life. Um, and, you know, I was, I never wanted to leave California, but I was willing to leave and come back. I never wanted to ask my parents for help, but I was willing to live in their basement. And, you know, that was really embarrassing. Um, and so I think that really helped. Um, but I, I've also been a big proponent of self-development uh, or personal development and just kind of seeking seeking help. I, I think we see that theme so much where people are isolated in their failures or their tough seasons. And there's just so much to be said for being open with it um, and, and sharing it with people. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. 
From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah. So uh, I have one other question. Then I want to start doing a really deep dive into the work that goes on at Failure Labs and the events and, and the people that you guys have showcased. You know, the the moment that you mentioned with your friend Jordan driving back from Michigan when he has a sort of, you know, revelation of, okay, we have to do this. This is something amazing. Um, what, how, do, how do you bring about moments like that in your life? Because I know I've had them. I don't know that I could plan for them or even engineer them deliberately. And I've always wondered about that. Yeah, and I, I think this is tough for me because I'm wired for change. I'm wired for variety. I'm always looking for something different or new, almost to a fault. Um, I've probably had to, to draw that back 
Whereas, you know, some people are the other side of the spectrum where they're, they're, you know, really not taking a lot of risks. So I, I think you've got to sort of challenge yourself to whatever that looks like for you, um, you know, seek out something else in life, whether it's personal or professional, or if you're, if you're trying to start anything, whether it's a business or school or marriage or a painting, um, you know, find those things that you're willing to kind of put yourself out there on. And, and it's a very vulnerable, scary place to be when you, when you put something into the world, no matter what it is, because you're, you're always going to get criticism. You're always going to have doubts. Um, your expectations are rarely going to be met uh, specifically. So I think, I think it's just fostering a mindset and looking around for things in life that maybe you want to try out or people you want to reach out to or trips that you want to take. Um, I think I just traveled a ton and met a ton of people and was, was really lucky to kind of be surrounded by these affluent people doing amazing things. And it just kind of rubs off on you. If, you, if you're stuck in a bubble in your, on your block, you know, maybe you need to get out of that and, and try some new things. Um, and then also remember that anytime you're doing trial and error, you're, you're going to screw it up. So tell me about the early days of, of launching failure labs. Like I'm curious, you know, what, uh, what kinds of experiences, uh, did you guys have in the beginning of, of getting this off the ground? What were your own challenges? What failures did you experience in the process of launching it? Yeah. And I will say we've had a lot. Um, none of us, our original team, there was six of us, and I don't think any of us had ever organized an event before. Um, so, <laughs> so you're always setting yourself up for trouble right there. Um, you know, I think, especially when you're doing a format that no one in the world was doing, that was, there was a lot of fear around that. Uh, we didn't really have a plan. We just had an experiment. Um, so it, it was tough. I remember launching the website, you know, um, announcing ticket sales to the world to our first event. And that first week, we didn't sell one ticket. And you're thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, here, here we set this thing out. You know, right out of the gate, it's going to be the failed failure lab. Um, and, then, and then all of a sudden, the flip happened where all of a sudden that first event was sold out. And then you're terrified because you're thinking, oh, my God, people are going to come to this thing and be horribly depressed or they're going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's just kind of never ending where you're, you're always just kind of managing your, your emotions and expectations. And um, our first event just was so special getting those first six people to say yes to this strange format um, where we're essentially asking them to give a public confession and not wrap it up um, is very strange. And we had Brian Vanderark from the verve pipe who um, had a, a really uh, well-known song, The Freshman. Yeah, yeah, you can sing it in your head. Uh -huh. <laughs> he, he knocked you two off the number one global spot at the time. And, um, you know, he just went from the absolute pinnacle to when they launched their second album, it, it bombed so bad they were pulled off of SNL like the week before. Um, and we were just really lucky to have Brian. He just wanted to share the story and he wanted to be a part of it. And he really kind of helped launch us. Um, he, he just got, you know, a ton of publicity and, and his story was shared a lot. And uh, actually now he travels the country and gives his failure lab talk to um, different companies. And so I think, I think if I look back in the beginning, um, it, it's funny, sort of the mistakes you make, 
but I'm also grateful for the people that took a risk on us that, that came behind us and supported us. I think our city Grand Rapids just really, um, it's like, you know, on the shoulders of giants type thing where they just really propped us up. And of course we did the one thing that you can literally Google it and the, what any event organizer shouldn't do. We immediately set ourselves up with our second event where, you know, never choose too big of a venue and never go outside of sort of the, the geography that you know. And we're like, let's do one in Detroit, downtown, in the Detroit Opera House. <laughs> and this, is, this venue is, uh, I don't know, five times the size of the one that we just did it in, in a much larger market. And that event nearly wrecked us. Our very second thing we did, we, it almost blew up our team. Um, we skated away with $100. Um, but two weeks before that event, we were rearranging our checking accounts, preparing to take a huge personal financial hit. Uh, so it's been, it's been an amazing journey. And, you know, you, you look six years later and you start to really dial in your process and, and, and learn from your mistakes. Mm. You know, I, I love the fact that you guys started out with somebody who, you know, appears to be at the pinnacle of success yet has experienced some significant failures. And, I, and I'm really curious, what are the things that you have found um, have come up for people that maybe, you know, we look at and say, OK, wow, that person is successful. And, uh, you know, what are the what are the significant failures that, you know, from the outside world looking in, we may not see, but you guys have gotten a front row seat to as a result of this? Yeah, you mean specific? I mean, specific, yeah, specifics would be great. Like, in, in particular, are there any people in, in general that you want to tell us about? Like, you know, you told us about one, but like, what are the lessons that come from this? And what are the, thing, what are, what are the things that we are not seeing in the outside world? Yeah, I, I think what happens is when you start to get some success, all we see from the outside are your headlines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see these companies that you think, Oh, they just skyrocketed up in the last year. And the truth is there was 10 hard years. So I think the very first thing is the perception and the expectation. Um, and then, you know, we see a lot of themes around the failures as far as, um, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of different themes, but I, I think again, it's just interesting how universal the feelings are. Um, I, one of my favorite stories is this guy named Mike Sager. I met him in La Jolla his office looks like modern day Indiana Jones. Like he's got, you know, Kobe's signed shoe next to Mark Wahlberg's. I don't even know what he's, he's worked for um, Esquire and Rolling Stone. And he's just an incredible um, one of the original kind of long piece journalists. Um, and he's, and he's kind of one of the last hanging on and he's lived with wounded warriors in the South and um, he's lived with, uh, gangs in Compton, he would actually put himself in these situations. And um, he he flew to East Lansing for this event at Michigan State. And it's still the only story I've ever cried in backstage uh, where he came out and the, his very first line was, I never wanted to be a father. And, um, you know, that hits home for someone that has struggled their whole life with that. And he proceeds to talk about when he found out he was going to be a dad, he took... Um, in advance amount of money on a recent book, which was maybe like $10,000. And he went out and blew it all on, on crack. Wow. <laughs> and you're, you're telling students that at Michigan state. <laughs> and we all just had this moment where like, you know, there's literal gasps where did this guy just say he blew 10 grand 
on crack. Yes, yes, he did. And I just think it was such a beautiful story of this guy has so many awards and accolades and he has a publishing company. And literally, I think one of the last times I talked to him, he, he's like, yeah, I, I can't talk right now. I'm right behind Mark Wahlberg and we got to run in. He's got to do his errands before we do this interview. And, I, and here he is just, um, you know, had such a dark season. And I think my favorite part of a lot of the stories is what people go back and they share as, as a failure they're now really, really good at. Um, so Mike ended up being an amazing dad to his son and his, they have a really awesome close relationship. And um, so I think that's just a cool component of a lot of people now wouldn't even look back at these as failures, but you know, at the time it's really a struggle. Yeah. The other thing that really struck me was the fact that you said that you uh, asked them not to close it up, which is really interesting because it seems like you leave this audience suspended in this sort of state of shock and disbelief. And, I, and I'm curious, one, why you have chosen that format? Um, and, and one, more importantly, what has the impact been both on the speakers and the audience as a result of that? Yeah, I'll say it's one thing to talk about it, and it's it's another to experience it. It's it's very affecting. It's very counterintuitive, um, and and we kind of just wanted to try it as an experiment. Uh, but what we found is that if you're not wrapping something up, you're not justifying or blaming someone else. Um, if you're really just owning your own piece in a situation and you're leaving it there, it does a couple of things. As as a listener, you're able to internalize that. Um, you're not judging because they're not going off on this rampage or being defensive. They're, they just left it for you. So you end up thinking about your own patterns and your own habits and instead of judging them and you're introspective. And I think that's sort of the start of a dialogue that can create change. Um, and the other thing is we, we crowdsource the lessons. So instead of Mike coming out and giving us his, his canned presentation, you could walk away with 300 different thoughts to that story. So we actually invite people into them. So it's an interesting kind of juncture of, of crowdsourcing and being introspective and starting a dialogue. Yeah. One of the, the patterns that I, I've noticed often um, with many of the people that I've interviewed is that they've had significant, significant failures, but they grow as a result of it. You know, I've talked to, to a number of, of psychologists, uh, happiness researchers about the you know people who experience post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress. I'm curious what you yeah. think separates those people um, based on sort of the seed that you the, the view that you've had into this. Yeah. And I, you can very quickly see sort of those themes from from our 200 storytellers. And I think it's some of the things I touched on earlier. I think it's, it's perspective. So they're how they look at it. A lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll ask someone if they want to speak and they'll say, well, I, I can't really even look at these as failures. And that that's their perspective. They don't even see it as a failure. It was just a tough time that they learned from. Um, so I think that's probably the most critical thing is that perspective and that awareness. And then it's, it's, you know, other things as far as, like I said, being willing to ask for help, um, being willing to pivot. I mean, how many people just are unwilling to change? And in the times we're living in, I mean, it's, it truly feels like adapt or die. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it, do, it does. You know, yeah. I think of a, a lot of the stories where it's like you've got to adapt and you have to embrace that. And I think um, embracing that struggle and, and, and understanding that things the true growth and true learning are from trial and error. And I think these people embrace that process that 
we talk all the time about innovation and growth. Well, the ugly truth behind that is is the failure process. This these sort of um, mismanaged expectations and in the context of it and the consequences. And I think you have to just really embrace the the process of trial and error and discomfort. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I, w- I was just writing this morning. It was like the, the conclusion I drew from my writing session is, wow, success is really a process, not an event. And I think that uh, you know, when you see it that way, suddenly failure doesn't seem like, uh, you know, something so catastrophic, but just part of the process of getting to where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easier said than done. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, it is, it's very, very difficult. And I think most of us will, will work on that permanently. It's a lifelong work. Um, uh, but I think it's worth the risk. I think, trying new things and, and getting outside of your comfort zone and challenging yourself. I think it's worth it every time with sort of the proper perspective. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because we, we live in this culture in one way that glorifies failure because it makes for great stories and headlines and all of that. And then in another way, it kind of stigmatizes it because you want to avoid it at all costs, right? Like nobody, you know, nobody's putting out these amazing stories, um, you know, on major media outlets of people's gigantic failures. It's not like the New York Times publishes, you know, somebody running a business into the ground, uh, you know, as something to, to glorify. And, and I'm, I'm curious you know, how people unwind this sort of cultural narrative that they have about the stigma around failure. Um, and, and, you know, what's been the impact on the people in your audience of hearing these stories? Yeah, I think that that is a really, really good question because there, there's almost like, it's almost kind of trendy right now to talk about failure. <laughs> right. um, and I think there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding in that. I, I mean, I think you look at Silicon Valley and it's, and it's glorified, and what they're really talking about is they're talking about rapid prototyping a technology idea, right? Mm-hmm. Which is completely different than trying to become a husband or a father or losing losing um, your health because of decisions you made or an addiction or an affair um, or, you know, or like Brian, who became a one hit wonder. I think you can't rapid prototype certain aspects of life. And I think that's where the gap is in some of these conversations. Um, so I, I like to say, you know, people who, especially out West, like, well, it's destigmatized. It's like, yeah, well, what about your CEO that was just caught on a yacht in the sex scandal? I mean, how is that team handling that? <laughs> you know, and the, the mark of stigma within that or the product that you just launched globally that completely bombed and no one wants to be on your team now. Um, so I, I, I think you got to get a little bit more specific. And I think Brene Brown does an mm-hmm. amazing job in uh, rising strong. I feel like she just went from vulnerability to failure. And that she, I, I feel like she's kind of leading some of this work. And I love what she says about it's not you should never celebrate failure. It's not good. It's not OK. Um, we don't want to have more failure. Uh-huh. And, and I think we've really, we've really embraced that from day one is it wasn't a celebration of failure. It's, it's being vulnerable and being honest about it. And it's starting a dialogue about these things that we're not talking about. Um, so, you know, those are kind of my two key components in that, in that some seasons are just going to be awful and you, you can't, sugarcoat it. You can't, maybe there's pieces of it you can't even find a silver lining from. There's some things you, some failures you might not even learn from, but you just hope that you foster an attitude where you can keep going. 
Yeah, you know, um, I think you, you brought up something very critical is, is this idea of fostering an attitude where you can keep going. Because one of the things that I know that I've seen in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of other people is often um, failure and, uh, you know, an experience or an event become intertwined with with identity. Uh, you know, one of my mentors used to say, your, you know, your temporary circumstances don't have to become your permanent identity. But for so many people, they do. Uh, and, and I'm curious what you, you know, your work and, and what you have to say about the idea of uncoupling, um, you know, identity from failure, because I think often people really do get trapped and, and find themselves in a situation where it it feels like this is just who they are, like they fail at everything. Because I know I, I felt like that in some of the darker chapters of my life, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that is an amazing question. Um, and I love, we have a a training and a curriculum that that's really beyond the events that kind of help help um, help sort of remove these stories that are holding people back and holding organizations back. And I think uh, I love what our facilitator Denise says. It, it, it's it's more than just your story. It's how you see yourself in your story. Um, and I think the first thing to uncoupling that is sharing your story in an honest way. Um, as an example, you know I. I could share my story of, of bombing in my first business as blaming, blaming the economy and blaming my health and, you know, so many factors outside of my control. But in reality, that doesn't help me kind of grow or move on. I have to own my piece in the story and in not being prepared and spending money improperly and signing contracts I shouldn't have. And frankly, you know, going to Mexico too much. <laughs> but I think that's where it starts is, is, the willingness to sort of share that story and see and truly see yourself in it, you know, see all of the pieces. You can see the things that were outside of your control, the things that you did control, because that's where you can start to have change is you can, you can accept what you, what, what was not your fault, but you can also claim responsibility for what was. And I think that's, that's where there's, you know, some magic in that. And, and you can, you can kind of let, that shake off. And I think that's one of the really cool side effects of the storytellers that share these stories. Some of them are reopening wounds from 25 years ago that they haven't even thought about. And it's an amazing uh, experience for them to reopen it, reprocess it and reframe it in a new way as a much more mature person. And I think, you know, a lot of people come back and say, thanks so much. Like I actually needed to do this. And it's almost just letting, shedding a, a weight off your shoulders of this thing that, you know, you held on to or, or it was, was maybe a little bit of poison in how you were looking at your piece in it. And to have that sort of reframing ability um, from a healthier perspective, I think is huge. Mm. You know, I, I really appreciate that you brought up the, the notion of acknowledging responsibility. It, it's something that really resonated with me because, you know, I've been going through a book recently where it kind of makes you look at situations in your past that you still have a lot of resentment over or a lot of anger over. And one of the questions, you know, uh, that's part of the book is, is, you know, look at what role you played in all of this. And when I got to it, I said, oh, my God, you know, with all these people that I had damaged relationships with and things didn't work out with, I was like, the role I played was that I was the one who initiated the relationship to begin with. And it was so eye-opening to see that because I suddenly was like, okay, you know what? At the end of the day, like I played a major role in all of this, uh, something even, you know, even though a lot of the behavior was out of my control. To see that was so eye-opening to me to think, wow, at the end, you know, really, I'm the one who caused this in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can't fix what you can't see. 
Yeah. I think if you're unwilling, if you're unwilling to look at it and even start the conversation, it's going to be hard to change. No doubt. No doubt. Um, well, this has been fascinating. You know, I, I was I was very intrigued by the work. I'm, I'm very, you know, like like I said, when Michelle wrote in and told me about what you guys did, I thought, yeah, this this would be a really fascinating conversation to have. So, um, I want to finish with my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. Uh, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Yeah, I think I think I like spicy people. <laughs> just like I like my Mexican food. I like it spicy where there's a little bit of vulnerability. There's a little bit of inappropriate sense of humor. Um, and you, you know, you mix in someone who's willing to listen and willing to make jokes. And, and, um, I think on a more practical level, people who are accessible, responsive and, and happy to lend, lend a hand are, are remarkable people, but ultimately, um, I always remember that spicy person at an event who just cracked a joke. Mm. Well, uh, like I said, this has been really fascinating. Uh, where can people learn more about uh, you and your work? Yeah, to check us out online, you can see more videos at failurelab.com. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming. Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.